0: Hello, welcome to Nature and Science for Kids. This is Moose Jaw Matt, your host for Nature and Science for Kids. We have an exciting bonus episode, our first interview here on the podcast with Rich Aguilera, also known as the Mud Guy. Our family has recently been enjoying his creation case videos and other media that he has been producing. Actually, my wife and I had been thinking of starting a podcast about nature and science for kids from a Christian perspective, because there seemed to be a need for it, and our family also really enjoys podcasts, but a lot has happened the past couple years in our family, so nothing much came of it except buying a microphone. During the 2020 Christmas holidays, we were watching a video by Rich Aguilera, and I just had this thought, if he could switch careers and start making kids' videos, I can start that podcast. A couple of days later, I stayed up working on the first episode, and the rest is history. So I was eager to invite Rich to be a part of the show early on because he was a part of the inspiration for it. Now, here we are, ready to talk about dinosaurs. Before we get talking about dinosaurs, from what I understand, you used to be an architect and designer. Correct. What led you to make a big jump from that to science and nature for kids? Yeah, that's a that's kind of a big big leap, isn't it? <laughs>
1: um, you know, when I first started in my career, I was really just looking for something very creative to get into. I was one of those, you know, kids growing up where you know I'd come into the teacher parent teacher conference with my parents, and the teachers <laughs> would be like, "Well, he's very creative," <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I knew that I wanted to get into something creative, so you know, in high school, architecture sounded very creative, designing and building buildings. And that's what I studied. And that's what I graduated from. And I got my job. And that's what I did for 15 years. But uh, during that time, I just um, didn't feel like I was getting enough creative thrills. I didn't feel like I was serving the Lord as directly as I could. And Mm -hmm. uh, at my church, I got really involved with youth ministries children's ministries outreach and all that kind of stuff and um, it just kind of grew i I built a team that worked together with me and we just started doing some really cool stuff at church with video with uh, children's church Our, our vbs programs were explosive and one thing led to another and um you know i it got to the point you know i had been doing this parallel to my architecture career and you know, a lot of people are saying, Rich, you, you really should share some of this stuff. I mean, what you're doing at church is just, nobody does anything like this. It's so unique. It's so creative. You should share this with others. And, you know, people start hitting you with these ideas. And I'm like, well, I got my career already. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? God God works in mysterious ways. And and uh, I just, one of those days there, I just kind of put it in his, in his hands. And I said, God, you know, man, a lot of people just recently saying, encouraging me. You know rich maybe you should you know share this with other people and and use this you know more directly and more full-time that that's actually what i did i just took a huge leap of faith and we started doing this ministry full-time and the one of the first things that i got asked to do was to write for guide magazine mm-hmm. uh, which is written for for the church for kids that are kind of uh, i think it's like 10 to 14 and my editor said if you can write about nature. Cause he already knew a little bit about me. He knew that I was kind of an outdoorsman. I was always running around with my hat on and, and yeah. all that stuff. Uh, and then he said, Oh, and by the way, if, you know, when you write your, your monthly column, can you also write about creation? Cause, cause that, you know, is ties in directly with, with nature. And that's just an area that our, our kids are just kind of struggling on. And the church is
0: mm-hmm. a little
1: weak on, on addressing, so I was like, oh, okay, sure, sure, creation. And of course, I got into this process of just reading and reading and watching seminars and just, uh, Im- you know, immersed myself in the subject. And I just became super intrigued and curious. And I'm like, wow, there is a lot of stuff and information that kids and, and just people in general aren't aware of. Definitely. Um, so that's kind of what, what made that, that bridge, started the ministry and, and just
0: love the whole nature creation thing. <laughs> that's excellent. You know, it's interesting because I used to want to become an architect or a designer of some type. And uh, I, I remember in academy, uh, I felt like God was calling me to become a teacher, actually. Mm. And uh, not that the listeners, anyone who's an architect is not doing what God wants. They can definitely do it, too. But it's interesting that there's that, some of that parallel there. Yeah. So coming to dinosaurs, when did you become interested in them? Well, when when that whole
1: creation topic started to unfold in front of me, I realized pretty early on that dinosaurs were in the middle of that whole mix. Yeah, because you know, dealing with the creation issue means you're addressing the evolution issue, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, the opposite view. Yeah. And probably at the center of the evolution issue is how and where the, the dinosaur issue fits in. Because anybody that you know is familiar with evolution you know you, you've heard a million times about the dinosaurs you know they say they lived between 200 million years ago and 65 million years ago yeah. and they changed and evolved and all this kind of stuff so um i discovered early on that um, dinosaurs would be a great vehicle to address the creation issue because what <laughs> what kid doesn't love uh dinosaurs you know there's Absolutely. they are kind of cool and mysterious and exciting so yeah um you know, if I figured that one out early on, but I, I didn't know enough about dinosaurs yet to really make a big contribution. So that was kind of a, it was a process of, of, you know, getting more and more into
0: it and learning more about it. Yeah, absolutely. Based on your research, what do you think is the origin of dinosaurs? And for our listeners, an origin is where something starts. So how do you think dinosaurs came to be about? Well,
1: you know, it's an interesting question because when I was a kid and I was asking that exact same question, interestingly at church, I was told, um, that, and you know, they didn't exist. Uh, other members, even pastors would tell me that, oh, you know, this lived a long time ago. I mean, I got, I mean, I even heard sometimes, you know, be told that dinosaurs lived millions of years ago, hmm. but then in the almost the same sentence that, you know, God created the, world and, you know, 6,000, 8,000 years ago, whatever. So it was very confusing, mm-hmm. getting so many different versions, even within the church. Um, when I obviously sat down to do the research, you know, came up to a few basic, obvious conclusions to me. Um, you know, the Bible says in the beginning, right there at the beginning of Genesis, God created and he created life and plants and all the things here on earth. Yeah. So you know, there was no life before that moment. So all original life had to start right at creation, right on days five and six is when life forms as birds and animals and all that came to be. Um, Dinosaurs being reptiles, land walking reptiles, then would have to have been created on day six, at least the original dinosaurs, because you know sometimes we get a little bit confused about that because you know by original i mean you know before sin because yeah. sin came and affected everything so all of nature including our our own cells and you know butterflies and you know sharks and dinosaurs everything that we see now uh, in nature is not the way that god originally created it it was perfect it was different stuff wouldn't even die I don't know what the original dinosaurs or butterflies for that matter would have been like, but all of these living things would have been created right there in in days five and six of creation week.
0: Uh, So we obviously have some evidence that there were large creatures, calling them dinosaurs or large lizards or whatever we might want to call them. They existed in the past, but we don't see them now. Mm -hmm. So where did they go? Yeah, um,
1: extinction is kind of the the word that's used for creatures of all shapes and sizes that aren't living anymore. And so at some point in the past, because we see evidence of them in the fossils and other, other different clues that these creatures did live at some point in the past, they became extinct. Now, when we look at the clues about the dinosaurs, there is one really clear extremely obvious uh, explanation as to what made them be extinct what made them Mm -hmm. die and interestingly pretty much 100 percent of the dinosaur fossils that we find were buried by water by tons of water and mud and dirt for some reason very interesting and we we know that it happened very quickly because in order to be preserved their bones and stuff and their all sorts of different parts and stuff had to be fast in order for them to be preserved. Because you know, when something, creature and animal dies out in the open, a couple of days, weeks, even later, they start decomposing and/or they're scavenged or you know they're gone fast. Yet in the fossil record, we find so many of these creatures preserved, sometimes complete and entire, uh, you know, bodies. So uh, we can see that some event in the past buried them very rapidly in water and mud. And we also know that it happened all over the world because we find them on literally every single continent, including Antarctica, we find dinosaurs that have been rapidly buried by water. And of course, kids yeah. listening, you know yeah. that, uh, we know why and when and, and how, and you know, all this water happened, you know, Genesis six, seven and eight talks about my favorite story in the Bible, which is the great flood that God sent and, um, you know, destroyed all of the evil things that had, you know, come to be at that time. So it's really cool to see that the Bible talks about a story that provides the explanation that is basically matched pretty almost exactly to what we see in in science in nature we see all these creatures so rapidly and quickly buried and preserved by water and mud
0: all over the world yes yeah genesis is my favorite book of the bible mm-hmm. the creation story transitioning quickly into the flood it's such a fascinating you know, the, so much history in those first few chapters of the bible and for kids it's a story full of you know kind of action and adventure and yeah. danger and it's, it's a it's an amazing story it is So on our show, we've been trying to emphasize that scientists observe what's around them, looking for clues and evidence to help explain things. You can't necessarily prove everything, but you can find evidence. So you mentioned this, you you were touching on this quite a bit already with the the dinosaur bones being buried by a lot of water and the flood, but what evidence... uh, do you see for dinosaurs living more recently than evolution teaches you know millions of years ago versus with the bible saying past thousands of years right it's kind of interesting there's uh, in within the science
1: area there's uh, a handful of little clues um about um you know revealing when they lived you know one of my favorites is um the fact that um, i think it first time was maybe about 15 years ago in montana uh i think it was a dr mary schweitzer uh, discovered she was working on a t-rex femur the leg bone and uh, she was pulling it out of the rock out of the matrix and it accidentally broke which is you know every archaeologist or paleontologist is like ah, yeah. <laughs> and it broke and you know when she looked at the the inside of the bone the cross section of the bone she was like, oh that's kind of strange and the smell and the whole thing kind of raised an alarm so she took it back to her laboratory and she put it under a microscope and she discovered that this bone of a t-rex which she assumed was you know 65 million years old or more was uh, still not fully fossilized there was actually blood vessels and soft tissues and it was even still stinking of decay that was the smell that she had discovered and she was like wait a second that's that can't be there's just no way that something could still not be fully fossilized after sixty-five million years, because the basic I belief in the scientific community was, you know, when something was fossilized, it was fully fossilized after a few thousand years. And how could it be that here, you know, here's this dinosaur bone and it's still not fossilized? And, you know, fast forward fifteen years and, and this is not an isolated case anymore. This is actually being found quite commonly Oh, really? Which is becoming a, a large problem for the scientific community to be able to explain <laughs> <I can> imagine <laughs> how this can be still surviving. Uh, and of course, you know, based on even what they're saying that that this process should only take 1000s of years, it's it's kind of funny and ironic because, you know, the timeline puts the flood at, you know, a few 1000 years back for four to 500 or five four or 5000 years back, which, you know, works out to be a, a pretty nice match if you are, you know, believing in God's word and, you know, seeing the chronology, the timeline of when the flood was and when they say supposedly it would take this long for fossil to form. Um, it's, a, it's a lovely fit and, and it's, for me, it, it always just thrills me when I see science so nicely line up with what we see in the Bible. in that case especially. Um, it's it's yes. pretty exciting.
0: Uh, you know, the first time I heard that story uh, about two years ago, I, I was I remember driving and listening to a, a seminar and I about had a, a car accident. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I thought, wow, I I didn't think that was possible after a few thousand years. How in the world are, are this? Is there going to be an explanation for millions of years afterward having live tissue, decaying tissue in a dinosaur bone? That was it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So uh you know we we got we had some of those questions to start because, like you were saying, dinosaurs are in the thick of it when it comes to creation, evolution, flood. but now, here we kind of segue into some of the more um <laughs> fun questions, I guess you might say about dinosaurs. so, what were some of the largest dinosaurs? yeah,
1: there was uh all shapes and sizes of dinosaurs weren't there, and uh I think that's one of the the reasons why a lot of kids really are drawn to them because you know the huge ones, they were just so exciting. The huge ones being you know like the apatosaurus, the brachiosaurus, um, and those being the uh, ones that walk on four, and would have you know um, long neck, long tail. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there was the, the the ones that walk on two. By the way, the, the ones that walk on four would be sauropods, the ones that walk on two being theropods, mm-hmm. uh, such as the, the T-Rex, uh, the Spinosaurus, the Pachycephalosaurus, these guys. Pretty big, pretty huge. But it's kind of funny because we always get excited about the big ones yeah. and we forget that there was also little ones. I mean, uh, generally speaking, if you kind of look at a cross section of, of the dinosaur types, most of them were actually small, size of a dog, size of a chicken, size <laughs> of a turkey um and one of my you know favorite funniest stories is the the velociraptor which is very popular in in you know movies and tv and books and yeah you know they always depict them as being you know about six feet tall or so but uh in reality they were only about the size of a turkey about three or four feet tall (laughs) Um, but you know hollywood and and you know all these places always you know are happy to take creative liberties to tell uh, a more exciting story but um, they did have their their one big you know famous claw that was pretty big compared to the size of it. But um, uh, most most
0: dinosaurs are actually small. But but those big ones, I I, I I'm, I'm with the kids. They, they are very exciting. <laughs> yeah, not not quite as scary to have a Velociraptor chasing you the size of a chicken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, are there any clues about what they ate?
1: Well, it's hard to absolutely be sure, but the science out there. Uh, seems to believe that the theropods for the most part were the carnivorous ones, um, meaning the uh, spinosaurs, the, those guys, while the ones that would walk on four, like the sauropods were plant plant eaters. They were vegan, <laughs> uh, which was the original diet in the world. And it's kind of funny because it matches up with what we see even still today. Some animals are, uh, you know, they eat plants and some of them are carnivorous, mm-hmm. so same within the, the dinosaur kind. Uh, there is a mix of, of each one.
0: Yeah. Uh, one's that eat plants and one's that eat meat. Uh, were there any that stand out to you as unusual dinosaurs? You know, I always, um,
1: you know, especially when I'm out talking to, to kids and stuff like that, I, I love to ask kids, you know, what's, what's your favorite dinosaur? And I'd have to say at least eight out of 10, the answer is the T-Rex and, um, course i always joke about the t-rexes because they had such funny little arms (laughs) and uh you know couldn't you know and i joke with the kids i'm like no high fives you know can't go take backstroke classes or (laughs) anything like that but proportionately it it was kind of funny because they have these these little arms and we don't understand uh you know exactly how they were used or whatever but proportionally you know i love to kind of tease and joke about the t-rex with with his little arms because You know, like the big ones, like an apatosaurus or something like that, you know, it just looks more proportionate, you know, the the big legs and big hips and the big tail and the big um, neck. But of course, then a a small head, which would be similar to like a giraffe, long neck, but a small head. Um, But uh, I always kind of laugh at the T-Rex with 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 his little proportions and those little arms that they had.
0: (laughs) My my wife loves T-Rex jokes. She always laughs. laughs. The little arms. Oh, do, you,
1: do you have a do you have a good one?
0: No, I cannot. I'm not good at remembering jokes. <laughs> All right, I'll I'll tell I'll tell a T-Rex joke for the kids cuz I know T-rex. they'll love
1: the, the T-Rex. Though. So, uh, what what is a T-Rex's favorite drink? Tea. Tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> what dinosaurs interest you most?
1: You know, I'm I'm not uh, super fascinated by a particular dinosaur i don't think but what intrigues me the most is when i see dinosaurs that you know people love kids love whatever but then we find them depicted in uh very unusual places and that kind of really draws my attention for example um you know there are literally hundreds if not thousands of depictions of creatures in history and art and literature in you know ancient mugs and and ancient walls you know carvings and temples whatever Mm -hmm. that depict these creatures that look exactly like a dinosaur you know as what today a scientist would draw yet these carvings and drawings are a thousand two thousand three thousand four thousand years old so you know one of my favorites is in this temple in cambodia Hmm. uh, in angkor wat And there's this temple deep in the forest, in the jungle there. And, you know, the temple's believed to be, you know, over a thousand years old. Yet on this one wall, there's this uh, area of this temple that has a bunch of carvings of animals. And there's the goat, and there's the monkey, and uh, the deer. And then there's this very amazingly clear drawing of a stegosaurus, which has always been one of my favorites because there's no other animal that has ever lived that's like a stegosaurus. It's you know kind of uh, they got those plates and you know the shape of the head and the shape of the tail. Uh, but you know of course the, the plates along its back is the most alarming and striking uh, detail. Yet there's a, a stegosaurus you know carved, you know looking alive like somebody saw it. Somebody knew what they looked like, and this is a thousand years before there was paleontologists. And it's kind of funny because, you know, back in the 1800s when paleontology first started, you know, they they would find these stegosaurus bones, hmm. but they had no idea how they went together. And it's kind of funny. You want to see some funny pictures. Look for early pictures of, of what they thought a stegosaurus <laughs> looked like. They didn't know what where the head went. They didn't know where the plates went. They were trying to, you know, piece it together like a jigsaw puzzle. And these are scientists, you know, super smart and intelligent, trying to figure out how this creature went together. Yet a thousand years before that, somebody already you know drew what a stegosaurus looked like um so for me you know taking interest really more has to do with you know seeing them uh uh, depicted in in so many cool places around the Mm -hmm. world saying like wow this was a
0: real creature somebody saw these recently because how in the world would they know how to draw them yeah yeah those those um i've only heard of a a couple examples but that is interesting yeah and, you know, sometimes they, they call it, uh, you know, a, a
1: dragon or, you know, whatever. In history, there's a lot mm-hmm. of different terms. Even in the Bible, you know, it refers to a behemoth or a leviathan or, you know, dragons. And we don't know what any of these creatures are, but it's it's kind of cool when we look through, through history and art and stuff. We see a lot of creatures also depicted, and so many of them just have that same characteristics, um, you know long neck, long tail, or, or also the ones that walk on two uh, with the big teeth and the scales and the whole thing. It's just, it's really cool.
0: So from what I understand, you have a dinosaur encounter presentation when life isn't on hold because of COVID. Can you tell us what that's like and how someone could someone could see it, assuming life goes back to normal at some point?
1: Yeah. So, you know, just to kind of back up a tiny little bit, Um, I started doing a touring show at that time. we I think it started about four or five years ago. Um, It was just called Dinosaurs, What Does the Bible Say? And it was a simpler presentation, but we actually toured it to over a 100 cities in the U.S., Canada, and about four or five other countries. And we were very surprised at how eager people were to, to come and to learn and the kids and to bring this topic kind of the foreground obviously from a biblical point of view um for the most part we were just kind of doing churches and schools and, uh, and that kind of uh, venues but about a year and a half ago uh, we were trying to think yeah there's so many people out there um just this could be an, an outreach tool but the goal would be to to really create a, a very nice very professional you know rent an auditorium and produce this really cool show for kids and families. Um, So we actually produced our first version and we were getting ready to do like a pilot show. (laughs) This was in March of uh, 2020. And uh, we had just booked the venue and we were starting to do some promo when all of a sudden the news hit that, uh, you know, COVID was uh, rearing its ugly head. Oh, unfortunate timing. Yeah, horrible timing because we were about to launch with our kind of a pilot, pilot show in Kalamazoo, Michigan. We were going to use that just to kind of gauge and figure things out, and then the goal would was two or three months later to start with a with a full tour. But um, as everybody knows, all the events and and all that kind of stuff got put on pause, and and you know still on pause, still waiting for that to open up. So at this point, we're just kind of still waiting. And we obviously don't want to do anything until it's very safe, and, uh, and all the laws allow for us to be gathering people and to be doing shows in and, an a, and a indoor venue, which is, you know, and I don't know how long that's going to take, but probably the best way to kind of keep in touch with what, what's going to happen is to just keep checking our website, which is dinoencounters at dot uh, com, www.dinoencounters.com which is our tour website. And once we start touring again, that's probably
0: the first place that it's going to talk about it. Well, that's great. Um, I know my my family's interested in seeing it at some point uh, when life goes back, to, hopefully goes back to normal. Yeah. But uh, we're, we're eager for that. So we'll be checking. <laughs> Rich, I've really enjoyed spending time with you. Thank you so much for taking time to be with us and share with the listeners about dinosaurs. Absolutely. My pleasure being with you, Matt. If you would like to find out more about Rich Aguilera and his media, visit onemustardseed.com. This link and others will be available in the episode notes. I've also included some other resources related to dinosaurs I found interesting and helpful. This episode was requested by Josiah in Pennsylvania, and he asked me what my favorite dinosaur was. I had to think about that for a while. But after looking around, I'm gonna say the Velociraptor, because it's smaller than I thought. It's only a little bigger than a chicken. It's a neat looking dinosaur. It kind of reminds me of a shark, and I like sharks, so maybe that's why I like it. I also wanna say a Big thanks to Tommy in Harrisonburg, Virginia, for supporting our podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. And even though we just missed it, I'm still going to tell you anyway, happy birthday, Tommy. Thank you to all of you other supporters. We are about to pass the 1,000 download mark. By the time this episode is published, we will be well past 1,000 and we also have five patrons on Patreon. That means we're halfway to an extra bonus episode. Keep it coming. I'm Moose Jaw Matt. Until next time, keep exploring your world.